Good morning, church. My name is Dylan Pegram. I am a member here at Redeemer Bible Church, and it is a joy and honor to be with you this morning. Today's scripture text comes from Luke 22, 14 through 23. I'll be starting in verse 7. Um, and what is traditional at Redeemer Bible Church, if you would stand with me as we read the word together. Um, again, as I said, I'll be starting in Luke 22, verse 7, and we'll go to 23. So hear the word of the Lord. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. Listen, he said to them. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs, making the preparations, make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And so when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man to whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them could be who was going to do it. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There is something special about sharing a meal with one another, whether that's with close friends, whether that's with new friends, there's something special about sharing a meal. And we see a beautiful picture of this meal that Jesus shares with his disciples. The men he's been doing ministry with, he wants to share a meal with them. Little did they know it would be his last with them. And so as we go into today's text, as we look through this Lord's Supper, I want us to be reminded that Jesus wants to be with us. He wants to have community with us. So as we look at this text, he delights in this final meal to drink with his disciples and to eat with his disciples before his hour has come. We see, excuse me, we see in verse 14, the hour is at hand. The hour has come. He's going to the cross. And what's the thing he wants to do? He wants to eat with his disciples. And so he's going to break bread with them. He wants them to know that he's going to depart from them, but he delights in their company. And he's not going to be gone forever. It's temporary. He'll be gone for a moment. Three days in the tomb. Yet he wants to show his disciples a couple things before he goes. 
And so this emphasis on the kingdom of God is coming, and it will be better than what we've experienced now. And so why do I say that? I say that because we see a great mystery, at least in my opinion, that he will not eat again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God, as verse 16 says. And as verse 18 says, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. We're not sure what that might mean, per se. What I like to see this as is that Jesus is helping them look to the hope. He's not going to be gone forever. This is temporary. He will eat with them again. He will break bread with them again. He will drink with them again. But his hour is at hand. He's going to the cross. He's doing what's been told of him. And the disciples shouldn't be sad about that. And so we see a joy that is to come as well. Christ is helping his disciples better understand a kingdom mentality. Again, it's eternal versus temporary. The kingdom's forever. This world's temporary. He reveals this to us throughout the Gospels, and we see again that the motivation of Christ is to help them see that eternal kingdom. It will never pass away, and it is joyous to know that Jesus is going to the cross, he's going to die for them, and he's coming back. This is all only a moment. Um, one of my professors at school said, knowing more about God is like the opening of a door. And as we continue to seek him and we read his word and we pray, he reveals more of himself to us. In this moment, Jesus is like, gentlemen, my hours come. I'm going. But before I do that, let me break bread with you. Let me drink this cup with you. Let me show you the significance of this. What does this mean? What are we looking at? And so as we look at verses 19 through 23, he takes the bread and gives thanks and says, this is my body, which is for you. Take this in remembrance of me. This body that's about to be broken on a cross, beaten by Roman soldiers, is for them. Is it the literal body? No, and we'll get to that later. But it is a significant seeing that Jesus is about to do something that we cannot do, and that's die for the sins of the world. John 3, 16, for God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see this cross is coming. Jesus is trying to show his disciples again, no one can take this from me. I must do this. He shows us this as well. This new covenant which is poured out for you, do this in remembrance of me. We also get to see how he's ratifying the Old Testament, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Jesus said, you needed those for a time, but this cross, this blood that's about to be shed, it will cover all your sins. We don't need those anymore. You need me. And it's not something we could do of our own strength. Again, when Jesus goes to the cross, when he is going to go and he is going to die for us, that's what we deserved. But we couldn't do it. We deserve the cross. But, but Jesus is taking it for us. And the concern of the disciples trying to figure out who this person that will betray them could be, as Pastor talked about last week, Judas. And he's covered that. But what I'll say is this. Jesus broke bread 
with those he did ministry with, even the one that would betray him. He didn't show partiality. He didn't say, these guys over here, these guys over there, okay, I love these guys more than them, and these guys, now they're okay. No. He broke bread with all of them. These are all brothers he did ministry with, even Judas. And so we see, again, how Christ is trying to, with his last moments, share what opportunity he has left with them to say, gentlemen, my hour is coming, but I'm coming back. Then I will ascend, and I'm coming back again. And so we can, again, look to the hope of Christ, that this blood that was shed, that this body that was broken pays for our sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we know Peter, the zealot's like, no, Lord, let me do it. Let me go. And then and Jesus is calming him like, no, you can't. We can't. We can't do this alone. This is nothing we can do of our own strength. This, again, comes from Christ. The Son of Man will go away as it's been determined. But we have the hope knowing he's coming back. He's not leaving us here. He hasn't left us. He's coming back. And I think it's funny in 23, they're like arguing like, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? And they're just kind of going off each other. It's like, that's how good Judas was. And again, pastor covered that last week. You should go watch the sermon. It's fantastic. But he was so good at deceiving that the disciples are questioning their own selves. Like, am I going to be the one to betray him? Is it going to be me? And so we see again Christ revealing himself to his disciples of a hope that's coming. And there are other opportunities in the Gospels besides Luke that we see the Lord's Supper. John also talks about the Lord's Supper. He gives a little bit more detail, and so does Matthew and Mark. Um, but we see a hope still that when Christ comes, when he breaks the bread and drinks the cup, and that we do that in significance, we see a God who loves us, who is dying for us. We don't see that in many other religions. We don't see gods who sacrifice themselves for these people. They're just kind of like, okay, good luck. Figure it out. Have a good time. We have a God who loves us and wants community with us. That's special. That's not like any other religion we're about in this world. God wants a relationship with us, right? And Jesus is the way to get there. The only way to get there is through the cross. We can't bear it. But because he does, the relationship's restored. And so I want to also look at 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 26, as Paul talks to the Corinthian church. And as we see, Jesus is ascended, the church of Acts is established, and there's wonderful ministry that's going on. But there's some rebuking that has to take place as well. And so we see in Corinthians, again, this is Paul's letter, 
just saying, guys, we need to do better. We need to step up. We need to do this. Why are we doing that? But specifically, he talks about the Lord's Supper and the way it's administered. And so transitioning from this Jesus story and its importance, we then see how are we going to do this? Now that he is gone, he is going to come back eventually. But how do we partake in the supper? And so Paul is going to show us an example, and I'm going to read from verse 17 all the way to 26. Given the instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's division among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there, be, uh, that there be factions among you, so that those are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at this meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person's hungry, while another gets drunk with wine. For you have homes in which you eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you, then? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this manner, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he gave thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's the Corinthian church causing division because of the way they're taking the Lord's Supper. And Paul, being a servant of Christ Jesus, is trying to just help them understand that's not why we do this. This isn't for partiality. This isn't for division. This isn't rich versus poor, what you have, what you don't have. We are the body of Christ unified in him. We're the body of Christ unified in him. And that's not how they were taking it. And so the church members of Corinth are engaged in unacceptable revelry and contentiousness in their observance of the Lord's Supper. We have the rich on one side and we have the poor on the other side. And the poor, it's like the movies where they have the little pea and they're brushing around the plate like, okay, this is all we have to eat. And you have this rich table and they're just eating it up. That's not what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to take this together. This is something that we're supposed to enjoy and celebrate with one another. The Corinthians celebrated the Lord's Supper as part of a fellowship meal. The wealthy brought much and the poor brought little to nothing. Because they couldn't. Instead of sharing the meal, the rich privately ate amongst themselves in their community, at least enough for them to see. And their practice only established factions and created disruptions. And so Paul warned them it's unacceptable, and he counseled them to participate worthy in the supper by being morally fit. It helps us believers focus on Christ's death. That's the purpose. It's not about where you are, where you are in this world, what you have. It's, again, about the Lord's death. And to look forward to his return. And if the believers couldn't avoid this factionalism, then they shouldn't have public observance of it. Paul's rebuking Corinth in love, saying, this isn't about you. This is about Jesus. This is about his death. 
And this is about his ultimate return. The blood of Christ poured out for you. The body broken for you. Jesus was not one of partiality. He came to unite. And yet that's not what Corinth was doing. And Paul warned us to be united in Christ and brothers and sisters. And we as believers should uplift one another and look to the cross and be prepared for his return. Because guess what? He is coming back. When? Guess as good as mine. They've been trying to do it for thousands and thousands of years. But he is, and we have that hope. Isn't it amazing to think that this God loved us so much, not only because he wants to share a meal with us, he's going to die for us as he already has, but he's coming back to get us. What joy we have in that, knowing that Christ is coming back. It's not done. He's going he's gonna to come back. He's going to finish what he started. He's going to defeat death, and we're going to be in the new heavens and new earth together sharing meal eating together. What a joy that is to see that we will be in the community with the Father and we'll be breaking bread with Him. Because when I always pictured heaven growing up, I always thought of heaven as like, you kind of get into the pew, you kind of cycle in, and maybe today's speaker is Billy Graham, and then the next speaker is John Calvin, and whoever else, the like superheroes of the faith, if you will. And we're just kind of there, and we're just singing praise and worship. There's such beauty knowing that God wants more than just that from us. Yes, he wants our worship, and that's how we are designed. But he wants to be with us. And sharing a meal is a beautiful way to see that. Because when you go out to dinner with somebody, new friend, maybe it's a date, whoever, it's someone that you love. I thought of an example from my own time. When my wife and I, when I got engaged to her, I remember going to dinner and I said, we need to put our phones away. Just swipe them away. Don't worry about anyone trying to text us, call us or anything. I just want to focus on you. I want to be there with you because this is about us in this moment, this engagement. That's what Christ wants with his church. He wants us. He wants to be there with us. He wants to love us. He wants to show us, us that love as the body of Christ, as the bride. The bridegroom will return and get his bride. Isn't that amazing to think about? Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus is not done? The bridegroom's coming back and he's taking his church. And he delights in us because he wants to have a relationship with us. There's such joy to see that. There's such a hope in that. And this is, again, this meal is an image to see that Christ is doing something we cannot do. We cannot go to the cross and die for our own sins. We can never pay for it. Only Jesus could. Now, this administering of the supper, as Paul has convicted and helped try and correct Corinth on, is to tell them, look, y'all, if we're not doing this right, don't do it. Because it's not about you. It's about Christ. And they've been trying to answer this question for thousands of years. Roman Catholic Church and their administering of the, uh, the elements and even just through the Reformation, how that changes. And so the Roman Catholic Church and their church reforms that take um, place is this idea of transubstantiation. 
meaning that the body is the literal body of Christ, and the blood, the literal blood of Christ, and that these substances in their whole change. Now, why is that significant, and why is that important to this story? Jesus already died, and he rose, and he is ascended. We're not literally taking of his body again at this Lord's Supper that we're going to take today. We're not literally taking of his blood again. It doesn't transform into us. And then it's like, ooh, we have more Jesus today. That's not how it works. Jesus already fulfilled these things. And the idea that comes off of that from Martin Luther, um, consubstantiation, is that the bread and wine kind of coexist. It's like, eh, it's kind of that, but let's dial it back a little bit so we don't sound like cannibals. Because that's not good. But I actually really appreciate another person of faith, Uldrich Swingley, who will take it even further and say, look, this body and blood is symbolic and significant for us as Christians. It's the blood and body that they don't literally become the bread and wine. Rather, they're for symbolic purposes, and the partaking is an act of remembrance and not placing the Lord on the cross again. We're not saying, Jesus, we're putting you back there to pay for these sins of this week, and then we'll do it again next week. He has fulfilled it all. He already did it. Again, John 3.16. I won't say it again. You know it. You probably learned it all through your elementary, middle, and high school years. He already did it. That plan was fulfilled in Genesis 3.15. God's like, you know what, Satan? Okay. You're going to bruise his heel. That's okay. You're going to bruise his heel. But guess what? He's going to crush your head. That's it. That's how it is. Satan lost then. And as we talked about at Armed and Dangerous this week, he's trying to get us. He's trying to feed us these little lies here and there. Jesus already won. He is the ultimate truth. He is the ultimate salvation. And we need to look to him not only in the partaking of this Lord's Supper, but in our everyday walk in life. He already did it. He already fulfilled what he said he was going to do on the cross, and he's coming back. And so as we look at this supper that we're going to partake in, it's for remembrance. We see that. We see, yes, Jesus went to the cross. And what a joy it is that in this time we weren't the disciples, because they don't see that hope yet. They will, but they don't. They eat this meal and it's like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, this is your body. Awesome. This is your blood. Okay, why are you telling us this? Because his hour's come. He's about to die. He's prepping them. Like, guys, that's it. Here I go. Like I've talked about this whole time for the last three years of ministry, time has come. You ready? No, Lord, like, don't leave. Like, who's, and all these other arguments. But Jesus prepped them. He told them, look, it's coming. And so when we understand communion as the remembrance of the work of the cross and how Jesus laid down his life for his bride, we see the beautiful picture that Jesus has been showing us throughout all the Old Testament that he ratifies in the New Testament and he works through the church acts with. The Bible works together in that way. It shows us the perfect story of how the bride is saved by the bridegroom. How Christ 
made a way for us to have communion with the Father. It's not a sacrament in the same way that we see the early Roman Catholic Church, but it's a privilege for us to take the Lord's Supper. It's an honor for us to take the Lord's Supper to see how Christ gives us a beautiful picture of himself. So let me close with some application. I want to see, or excuse me, so with this application, I want to ask a question. How then should we live? How then should we take this supper? We should take this supper, as the Bible says, in remembrance. Again, Luke's pretty clear. John's pretty clear. They say, when Jesus is talking about this supper, do this in remembrance of me. Verse uh, 19. When the body is given to you, do it in remembrance of me. Verse 20. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the other is betraying me and is at the table with me. And he gets into that. But it is remembrance. Remember that we are not the ones who could go to the cross and do this for ourselves. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. We also should remember it as this cross is to see his life in ministry and to see that Christ has been here since creation. He is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The plan has been fulfilled. They knew the plan after the Garden of Eden. Like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Jesus, you're going to go die. But you're also going to make a way for my people to have a relationship with me again. And though the disciples, again, did not get to see the way we get to see this supper, doesn't make it less significant. We see that the cross of Christ is ultimately for our salvation. And that's a way for us to commune with the Father. And that actually leads into my second point of application. We take the Lord's Supper in community. United in Christ, as the body of Christ, we take the supper. It's not a meal where we break off and take it individualized as the Church of Corinth was doing. We take this meal with the body, with one another, bearing each other's burdens, loving one another, and looking to the cross of Christ as the bride of Christ, waiting for the bridegroom. Because again, as I've said, he's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back, but we need to be ready for when he does. We live in some very scary times right now, but that should not cause us to fear what's around us, but instead should give us a joy knowing that he's coming back. It's temporary. The kingdom is eternal. So when we take this in community, it's not just the community of us together, which is nice. It's the community with the Father in heaven who wants to be with us. And then this is my last point. We should also take the Lord's Supper in rejoicing. Jesus did something we couldn't do, and we should rejoice in that. Because if it was me on the cross, I couldn't save all y'all. I'm sorry. just couldn't happen. But because of Christ, because of what he did, because of that promise, we have a right relationship with the Father again. And guess what? He didn't stay dead. It was temporary. Three days. 
Jesus is alive and he is reigning and we're getting there. As we get closer to the Easter time, as we get closer to that cross, we also get to see the joy of him raising. He's coming back. And he did come back. He defeated the grave. He defeated death. Satan didn't win. He had a temporary joy like, you got him. No, you didn't. You thought you did. It was up there. Jesus won at Genesis 3.15. Jesus is shown throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, through their words, and then he does it. He does it. He goes to the cross. He suffers. He dies. And there's this sorrow. Oh, what was us? He's gone. And then three days later, he's back. Only he could do that. Only his plan could be fulfilled that way. He didn't come as a raging king the way that the Judaizers wanted him to come, just reigning in and getting Rome out of there. No. He came humbly as a baby through Mary. He grew up. He ministered to the people. He knew he had to go to die. And he did all of this in an act of obedience to his father and an act of love for his people. What a joy it is to know that our Jesus is alive. He's with the father in heaven. He's seated at that right hand. And he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. And we see clearly that the joy of the Lord and the great gift that we have sharing in this meal is that we rejoice knowing we couldn't do it. Jesus did it. God took the cup of wrath from us and he gave it to his son. The cup of wrath that I deserved, the cup of wrath I should have taken, God said, nope, not for you. Jesus, for you. So that way I could have a right relationship with the father. That way you could have a right relationship with the father because he wants that from us. He wants to be in community with you. He wants to have a love for you and he does. But do you love him? Do you desire a relationship with him? Do you know him? Because I encourage you this morning, if you do know him, what a joy it is to know him. And if you don't, there are people here who will help you know him. You're not alone. And we want to come alongside of you. So as I close, I want to close with this. A couple of song lyrics that are really important to this view of the Lord's Supper. He's pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our sins. And by his wounds, we are healed. And I already mentioned it, but what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what makes us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We can rejoice knowing that Jesus loves us, that God loves us, and they will return and take us home. God wants us to remember what he did, to be in community with him, and to rejoice knowing that Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. Father God, we just come before you now knowing that this is not something we could have done. We couldn't have gone to the cross to save ourselves. Jesus, it's because of you. It's because of your love for us. It's because of what you did for us is something we can never pay you back for. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity we have just to love you and to serve you. We pray, God, as well, for this taking of communion here, that we would do it in remembrance of you, for 
us in blessing and in love. Now be ready to practice.